Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, as you're finding Galatians 4, let me just thank Joe Fry for preaching for me last week. Uh, My family had the opportunity to spend the week of Thanksgiving in Florida together with my dad, and I was with my sister and her family. Great experience for us, a time to relax and, and just love on one another uh, Joe did a fantastic job. I had the opportunity driving home Sunday to listen to him. That was a neat experience driving in our van, and we had him kind of pipe through our speakers, listen to him, did a, did a great job. And Joe, by the way, graduated seminary from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on Friday. Uh, and so you can congratulate him. He's actually in quarantine as well. He feels fine, but a family member got it. And so uh, if you can just reach out to him by text and let him know you love him. But he did a great job, Joe. Thank you so much for doing that and, and for preaching and standing in for me. So Merry Christmas. Can I say that now officially? Uh, I know a lot of stores have had their Christmas decorations up since months and months ago. But now we've kind of come to Thanksgiving. We've moved through Thanksgiving. We're into the Christmas season. I think we can say Merry Christmas especially. Uh, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of year. I love the decorations. I, I love the excitement. And I love the story of Christmas. One of the things I love about the story of Jesus is that his birth wasn't an accident. We're going to see that here in just a few minutes. His birth was not an accident. Uh, It was a very orchestrated plan from the beginning. After thousands of years of anticipation, God sent his son Messiah had come, and, and his birth was one of the most pivotal, if not the most pivotal, moments in history. We could probably debate about whether the cross or the birth were more important, but they stand together as very pivotal, important times in the history of our world. And Galatians chapter 4 paints this beautiful picture. If you've never studied Galatians 4, written by Paul sometime around probably 48 or 50 AD, just a, a few short years after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And, and Paul does a great job, as he does with all of his letters, uh, explaining that salvation is found only in Christ. And he makes this point over and over and over again. And so I want you to see that in Galatians chapter 4. And really what I want you to get from the message this morning is that the Christmas season is, is about the birth of Christ, but it's really about the story of God's plan for humanity. It wasn't an isolated event. It wasn't one of these kind of things where where God just woke up one morning and decided this is the day. God, you need to understand God from eternity past planned for Christ to come to this earth to die on the cross for your sins. That's powerful. And that alone ought to bring you to this place of worship and celebrating his birth and celebrating all that, that God did and all that happens and all that we celebrate through Christmas. So let's jump right in this morning. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to put it on the screen. We have it on the screen for you to watch at home or you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to really look at verses 4 through 7, beginning in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, there's a, there's a lot in these few verses. Right? And that's what I love about the scripture. There's always so much we can talk about. There, there's always so much depth. There are always so many things we can understand. But let's just pull some truth out this morning. Let's try to understand what God is saying to us and then figure out how we can apply this to our lives and, and live for him day by day. Here's the first truth I want you to get this morning. Number one, through Jesus, God's perfect plan was revealed. Through Jesus, God's perfect plan was revealed. Now, I preach out of the ESV, and I know a lot of you enjoy the ESV, and and I read it uh, devotionally myself, but I also like the NIV. And in in this particular verse, I like the way the NIV phrases Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, a little bit better. The NIV says, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, right? A little bit different than we see in the ESV. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, right? It's not a random event. It's not an accident. wasn't a last-minute decision. Really, for centuries and centuries, people had been waiting. They had been looking ahead to Messiah. They had been praying about all he would do for them and were excited about his birth that would one day come. And so we see this in Old Testament prophecies. If you ever have a conversation with somebody that really doubts Scripture, or doubts the significance of God's word, or maybe doesn't believe that it's accurate, uh, that it is truly given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you ought to walk them through some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Because the prophecies of the Old Testament are clear. The prophecies about Christ and about his birth and about his death and his eventual resurrection are crystal clear. If you look for them and you find them, it becomes very obvious to people that have never really studied that, that something's going on here. But how could you write about this birth so clearly? How could you write about his life and his crucifixion and his death so clearly hundreds of years before he was born unless this really is inspired by God, unless this really is fully his word? So I'm going to give you a few, and we have these on the screen as well. I want you to see these with your own eyes, right? One of the things you ought to do when we study Scripture is always look at it for yourselves. And so I, I really, when I, when I preach and when I teach, I want you to see this with your own eyes. And so just a few examples of some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. By the way, there are hundreds. Uh, some scholars have estimated there are 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament relating just to Jesus. That's incredible. Some clear ones we see. One of the, one of the best ones is early on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we're going to pull that one up for you to be able to see. Genesis 3, 15. God, God is speaking to Satan about Eve and about her offspring. And he says, I will put enmity between you, that Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, right? So, so this is the idea that the woman, Eve, will have offspring one day that will have enmity, that, that will fight against, that will be angry with the offspring of Eve. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel, right? Very early in Genesis 3, but already this, this picture of the offspring of Eve leading to Christ and Satan having enmity, anger against one another, and the idea that the serpent will kind of nip at the heels of Christ and Jesus will one day crush his head from Genesis 3. It's a beautiful picture. 
Right, from the beginning of the story, right? If you've got a Bible, you should understand that really from the beginning until the end, God's plan is revealed and it's clear. But there's some other prophecies that are, that are more specific to Jesus. Micah chapter five, verse two, looking ahead to Jesus, listen to what it says. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days, right? A prophecy that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, right? So we've already seen that one day Jesus is gonna fight with Satan. We see that one day he's gonna be born in Bethlehem. We see he's gonna be born to a virgin, be called Emmanuel. And then Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse one, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time she brought into the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. Listen, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, right, where Jesus did his ministry. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Remember John 1 speaks about Christ as the light of the world. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse six of Isaiah chapter nine, for unto us is born, to us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, right? On and on we could go with these Old Testament prophecies looking ahead, clearly, clearly painting this picture of exactly who Jesus was going to be, exactly what Jesus was going to do. When the time had fully come, right? God sent his son when the time was right. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it incredible how the timing of God is always perfect? You ever wondered how sometimes things just seem to work out the way that uh, maybe you hoped they would, or sometimes they work out in ways that maybe you didn't even expect, and we, we begin to look at our lives, and we can look back over the years and realize how God's timing was always perfect for us, right? God, God called me into ministry when I was in my early 30s, and, and I still remember like a bolt of light and just so clearly how he called me. But I've, I've often wondered, why didn't he call me when I was 16, or 18, or 20, or 25, or 28? Why, why didn't he call me earlier? And maybe I could have started a little sooner and begin preparing a, a little earlier. But as I look back upon my life and I kind of see how God orchestrated all the different motions and the movements in my education and the jobs that I had teaching and how that kind of shaped me, I think God was preparing me for this moment. And I, I look back at my time in the classroom and, and I think God gave me this gift of teaching almost 10 years in the classroom and, and understanding how, how to formulate a lesson and, and how to teach a lesson and how to connect points for people. I think God was creating in my heart and in my brain this ability and preparing me so when he led me to preach, I was ready. But his timing was perfect. His timing was exact. 
Right? We, we wonder why, why didn't God send Jesus back now, right? We have the internet, uh, we have communication all across the world, we have social media. I mean, imagine what would happen if Jesus came back now and the ways in which we could share his message and how he could kind of tell his story and, and do his miracles on, on live TV. And we, we wonder, but we know God's timing was perfect. And we see that God sent his son when the time was fully come, when the timing was exactly right. It's exactly what the world needed in that moment. It's exactly what the Old Testament had prophesied really for hundreds of years. But I want to go a step farther. Right? We, we know his plan was revealed clearly through Jesus, very obviously through Jesus. But what exactly was his plan? Look at Galatians 4 again. Let's pull Galatians 4 up again and let's read it. But when the fullness of time had come, right, the timing was perfect as seen throughout the Old Testament, throughout uh, the stories of the Jewish people, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Watch, verse five, why? To redeem, that's the reason he came. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, right? So we see God's perfect timing through Jesus. Here's the second point. Through Jesus, we have redemption, Through Jesus, we have redemption. Look again at verse four. I want you to see what's going on in this verse because there's a couple of interesting things we need to understand. Right, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now watch, born of a woman, born under the law, right? So we see this clear picture, born of Mary, the Virgin Mary. We've seen the story We've read it, we're familiar with it. Over the next a couple of weeks, we'll look in a little more detail at that as we get a little closer to Christmas. But the thing I really want you to understand is that Jesus was born under the law, right? And let's think about that just for a few minutes. Let's kind of unpack that phrase and, and that idea. Uh, God gave the Jewish people the law in the Old Testament. And there were hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had to follow. If you wanted to read back through Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, you would see the the story of the laws that he gave them and how those laws were supposed to be obeyed. But the thing that you would see more often than not is that the people of Israel, the Jewish people in in the Old Testament, had a very difficult time keeping the law. And so what you see is this large set of rules, uh, of laws that God gave them. The Ten Commandments we're very familiar with, of course, but there were hundreds of other laws that they had to keep. Like There were, there were laws that, that t- told them how to sacrifice and, and how to be clean and certain things they could eat and, and not eat. What you begin to understand as you study through the Scripture in the Old Testament is that for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, keeping the law was impossible, There's nothing they could do to keep the law. And so what you see, I've described it like this before, but the the history of Israel is almost like a roller coaster. They'd be good for a while, then they do something really bad and sin, and then they do something good and God would forgive them, they would repent, God would forgive them, back up and then back down. It's just kind of a roller coaster. It's very similar, by the way, to to the way we live our lives. Sometimes there's some good times for us where we're trusting the Lord and, and growing in our faith, and other times we feel more like we're in a valley, and maybe you're there now. Maybe you're walking through a valley or, or a struggle or maybe you don't feel like you're really growing a lot in your faith. Let me, let me just encourage you, as you trust Christ more, as you allow him to work in your heart more, as you study God's word more, as you pray more, as you seek him more, he'll be there for you. And he'll walk with you through those difficult times. Right, but the people of the Old Testament understood very clearly that they could not keep the law. And so what the law ultimately did was it proved that these people needed something else. 
They couldn't remain perfect and pure by keeping the law. They needed something else, right? They needed a Savior. And so the law really points to their need for a Savior. It points to their need for someone to come and to forgive them. And so we see that in verse 5. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. God sent forth his Son, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, right? Now, now, redemption is one of those words that we hear, but maybe we're not quite certain what it means. And so let me just kind of read you a, a definition, right? The Greek word for redemption means to purchase in the marketplace. In ancient times, it was the idea of buying something oftentimes. So, so we get this sense that Jesus redeemed us on the cross, right? He purchased us back. He bought us, he freed us from sin and the bondage of sin that goes with that, right? He took our punishment, he took our place, he redeemed us. And so we understand that Jesus died on the cross and when he did that, he redeemed us and he forgave us. He stood in our place. And so as we think about the the birth of Jesus, and this is important for us to understand, we we think about the birth and and the baby in the manger and the the wise men and the shepherds, and those are all correct. That's a beautiful picture, right? It reminds us of of exactly what the scripture teaches and, and gives us kind of a picture of what the birth of Christ was like. But we need to understand that Jesus very simply was born so that he could die in order to redeem us. Right? It wasn't just some random event. And so we see this through Scripture. We see this in other places. We see this word redemption used in other places of Scripture. Verse, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Right? He took our place. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption. There's that word redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, right? Jesus came to redeem us. One writer said it like this, thus God's sending his son is immediately associated with the death of his son. Jesus came to redeem us, to restore us, to save us. John MacArthur said it like this. He said, Christ's coming provided the restoration of lost sonship the restoration of the lost inheritance, the restoration of the lost intimacy with God, fellowship, and communion. Right, so in, in Christmas is, is wrapped up kind of this, in this bigger picture, this bigger idea of, of the, the plan of God from the beginning, first of all. Right, God's perfect plan is wrapped up in Jesus. We, we see that really from eternity past, God had looked ahead to this moment because the people couldn't keep the law. They couldn't be holy on their own. They were sinful. They needed a savior. And so in his perfect timing, God sends his son to redeem those people, to buy those people back that were under the law, that were under the bondage of sin. But let's go one step farther, okay? Let's look back at Galatians 4. Let's just read all of it again. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, right? We've seen that. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that's the purpose of why he came, who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, And if a son, then an heir through 
God. So, so Christ came to redeem us back, to buy us back. And then truth number three, because of that, through Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's really a summary of the gospel, right? God's perfect plan in Christ. Christ came and redeemed us. He bought us back. And when he redeemed us and he bought us back, we have now been adopted into the family of God. Now, I want to be clear about this, okay? There's sometimes, uh, I think, some some misunderstanding about salvation. We need to understand that before, uh, before we accept Christ as our Savior, Right, before we repent of our sins, we are outside of the family of God. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a real clear picture, and I think we're going to pull that up on the screen for you to see as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I'm, I'm going to read this, but as I read it, I want you to notice kind of the before and after picture of salvation. Kind of the picture of being in the family of God versus being outside of the family of God. Paul really contrasts these two positions very well for us in Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to listen. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, watch this. But God, (laughs) isn't that a beautiful change there? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Paul really contrasts for us. He gives us this picture, kind of the before Christ. We're we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're we're following the way of the world. We have within us a spirit of disobedience. We're gratifying the sinful nature. We're children of wrath. That's before, but then after we're alive with Christ, we're we're saved by grace. And so we understand in, in Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and and Galatians chapter 4 and and other places in Scripture that we're not born a Christian, right? We're we're not born good. In fact, the Bible says we're all born sinful. And so you don't don't have this opportunity just to kind of be born a Christian and one day get to heaven. There's a process that the Scripture talks about when he's thinking about the Lord and thinking about Christ and and thinking about this idea of adoption, we've been made a part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, Jesus explained this to Nicodemus. If you know John chapter three, uh, verse 16, you're probably very familiar, for God so loved the world, you know the story. Um, We've memorized that. We've, We've seen it numerous times probably in our life. What you might not know about that passage of Scripture is that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders. And here's something he says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, several verses before John 3, 16. Jesus answered him, that's Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? Nicodemus is confused about this, being born again. What does that mean? Jesus is really just explaining to him, listen, you've got to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior to receive salvation. You're not born a Christian. Doesn't happen naturally. Doesn't happen on its own, right? We see what Christ accomplished for us, and then we're required to repent of our sins 
and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that when we do that, that he rescues us, right? That he redeems us, that he adopts us, right? That's a powerful word right there. We've been adopted into the family of God. He loved us so much that he gave his son. His son died on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back, and allow us this incredible opportunity now to be adopted into the family of God. But there's one more step I want you to see in Galatians chapter 4. Bring verse 6 up, if you would. Galatians 4, 6. I want you to see that because there's a very intimate word there that I want you to see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Right After we see that we've been adopted, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, right? There's this personal relationship here. There's this personal intimacy. I I think sometimes we we miss the idea of Christianity. I I think a lot of times we see Christianity as this idea of a bunch of rules that we have to follow, like a set of rules we have to do, do and do not things. And and there's a a lot of complicated things. And is it right? Is it wrong? We we get real confused sometimes because we we think it's complicated. And, And there certainly are lots of great teachings in the scripture that show us how to live. But but really at the heart of Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus. Like this intimate Abba Father calling, this idea that there's a personal close relationship that we've been adopted into this family. That is verse seven says, we're no longer a slave, but we are a son. Isn't that incredible? An, an heir through God. That's what the scripture teaches, right? We're, we're no longer bound by, by, the, by the, the bonds of slavery, right? And we don't understand in our world what slavery looks like. We, we never experienced that, but we understand the bondage of other things, don't we? We understand the bondage of alcohol or drugs or pornography or some other type of addiction, right? We, we understand what those bonds look like and how they pull us down and how they can just drain us. And we begin to understand that through Christ, those things can go away. Right? Jesus has freed us from those things. Verse 7, we're no longer a slave. Isn't that incredible? But a son. Can you imagine going from a slave in complete bondage to now being viewed as a son and heir even of the things of the Lord. That's incredible. All because of the birth of Christ, right? All because of what Jesus accomplished. All because of the life that he gave. All because of the way that he lived. We go from being a slave to being a son to being an heir. It's incredible. Jesus has redeemed us. He's adopted us. He's freed us from sin. We're heirs with Christ. That's why when we talk about Christmas and we begin to think about the the ramifications, it wasn't just a little baby. It wasn't just another birth. It wasn't just another story of a young mother. It wasn't just another story of of a young couple that struggled to kind of know how to make it in life. It, It wasn't one of those kind of stories. Those things were all true about the birth of Christ. But when you think about the birth of Christ, it truly was the greatest story ever told. And so as we kind of officially now, I guess, move into the Christmas season, I would just encourage you, I would just challenge you, don't, don't get caught up in all the limelight and all the material things. Those things are fun and, and certainly are part of Christmas and our culture, but those things should be minimized. We should enjoy and have fun and be with our families, but at the heart of what Christmas is really all about, it's Christ's birth and his gift 
to us. And I would just encourage you this Christmas to remember that, to focus on the joy and the hope that only Christ can offer and enjoy that great gift that only Jesus can give.